May your love be true, your whiskey pure, and may you not giggle, even a little, when Marsley calls you a whore. Hi, and welcome to Sex and Whiskey. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media, and we are here today to talk about The Doldrums, the ninth episode of season three. The Doldrums aired on November 12, 2017, and was written by newcomer Shannon Goss and directed by newcomer David Moore. There's a thing in writing called a string of pearls plot. This is where things happen, but they're not related. They're not escalating. They're not pushing us toward a cohesive conclusion. Instead of finding an oyster that leads you to a pearl, that leads you to a pirate looking for that pearl, that leads you to the ship where the pirate lives, that leads you to an adventure that eventually makes you captain of the ship, it's just pearl, 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 pearl. It's not that the pearls can't be pretty or interesting or well-formed, but they're not escalating the story itself. They're just little adventures along the way. Some of the pearls in the doldrums are kind of pretty. Some are not. Some are downright disappointing. But what they lack is a progression, an escalation that leads us to our final destination in our big story, something bigger that they're a part of. As they are, they're just pearls. All right, let's go through the stones. In the doldrums, Cousin Jared helps Jamie and Claire get on a ship, along with not Angus, not Rupert, Yi Tian Cho, and Fergus and his new bride, the Spitfire, Marsley. You left my mother for this English whore, making her a laughingstock, and you say it's no my concern. Jamie won't allow the marriage and ends up sharing his birth with Fergus, while Claire and Marsley share the other, and no one is happy about it. He's been apart for 20 years, and you want me to ruin his her? As Jamie's seasickness keeps him below decks and Claire's medical duties keep her tending to the men, the superstitious crew sees bad luck at every turn, and the captain indulges them. A woman's bare breasts, calm and angry sea. Yi Tian Cho tends to Jamie's seasickness with acupuncture and writes disappearing poetry on the top deck with water and a small brush. A story told is a life lived. As the wind stops and the ship stays stuck in the middle of the ocean, the men blame superstition and look for a Jonah, someone they can throw over the side of the ship to appease, I don't know, something. They choose Hayes, who may not have touched the magic horseshoe at the beginning of the trip. I don't think I touched it. Hayes decides that if he's going to die, it'll be by his own hand and climbs up onto the mast. Jamie goes up to save him, but it's Yi Tian Cho whose story of his life distracts the men just as the wind comes back. And now everything is fine, until they are boarded by a British man-of-war filled with typhoid fever. For the love of God, have you a surgeon on board? Claire goes to the man-of-war to give advice, but as she's helping, the captain sets sail, kidnapping her. I am desperate. You may be our only chance. The thing about episodic storytelling is that you have two jobs to do. You need to tell the story of the episode, and you need to move the bigger story along. The bigger story for the second half of this season of Outlander is the search for young Ian. We move that forward by getting on the ship to chase the Bruja to its destination in the West Indies, and while we're in that long, extended transit, we keep ourselves occupied with little adventures that in the end feel like, as long as we're quoting Shakespeare... A lot of sound and fury, signifying nothing. 
While much of the activity in the doldrums isn't in the book, there's no horseshoe, no bad luck, no Leslie, no Hayes, no doldrums, no Jonah, the approach to this part of the story is very much in tune with the book material, a momentary adventure that passes the time but doesn't really mean anything. Meanwhile, the stuff that could have meant something, our missed opportunity to properly deal with dark Jamie, the reconnection of Claire with her work, even the complicated situation with Marsley and Fergus, all becomes a backdrop to this watered-down episode of Black Sails that has somehow swallowed our Outlander story. The adventures can be fun and diverting, and there are things within the doldrums that I quite like. But if we're going to diverge from the source material, let's fix what's wrong with the source material. Instead, we're trading one little adventure for another and not addressing the thing that we came to Outlander for. The characters. Will we be happy? Last week, I talked about the difference between Dark Jamie and Asshole Jamie. For review, Dark Jamie would be a good thing and would require consequences and a real resolution. Asshole Jamie is a plot device that we pulled in to create false conflict, and then we're going to go right back without any consequences, without any resolution. I couldn't be sure what we were dealing with, although I sadly suspected we were going with Asshole Jamie. Turns out, I was right. At the beginning of the episode, we get a nice moment when Jamie asks Claire if they'll be happy together, and he offers to take her back to the Stones. And she doesn't comfort him with, No, I love you, James Fraser, and I will stand by your side no matter what a dick you've been. But she doesn't really not say that either. She's dedicated to finding young Ian, but instead of looking away from Jamie, not meeting his eye, and showing that there's something really wrong that needs to be healed, she comforts him, looks at him with love and tenderness, which shows healing already happened. No consequences. Now, I know... So many of you out there are shouting at me. That's what we want. Jamie and Claire together. And dudes, I'm with you. That's what I want too. But good storytelling isn't about giving us what we want. It's about giving us what we need. And what we need is to see Jamie earn his way back from that darkness. And he doesn't. Claire just pretty much forgives him and that's it. And then they pander to us with this bullshit. If you would say that in the 20th century... You'd be the king of all men. I mean, come on. He's Scottish and redheaded and sexy. Fine. But that means he has no consequences for 20 years of trauma that darkened his soul? If we were going to make up material in this episode, and we did, couldn't it have dealt with this? The rest of the season needs to be about Jamie earning his way back to Claire. She fought for him. He should be fighting for her. Instead, he doesn't need to fight. He just tells her she's pretty and boom, everything's fine again. It may be what we wanted, but it's not what we needed. It's not good storytelling. And man, Outlander, of anything, is primed to be a delivery system for great storytelling. But we do get a couple of great things in this episode. One is Claire's kick-ass outfit, which has been altered a bit to reflect her surroundings. And we've added an awesome hat. I'm not a fashion maven by any measure, but the outfits in this show make me want to cry with happy Katrina Balfe could make a burlap sack look good, but combine her with Terry Dresbach's brilliant costume design, and man, it is just heavenly. And the other good thing we get in this episode, well, mostly good, is Yi Tian Cho. I've been describing the story of my life in China so that it will not be forgotten. In the 
book, Yi Tian Cho is a problematic character, to say the least. Claire refers to him in the book as Jamie's little Chinese, which is, God, just wrong on so many levels and makes me think so much less of Claire. He behaves like a deviant little sidekick, an exotic comedy mule, and it reflects well on no one. But we do have some good moments for him in the book. Not near enough, but a few. And we utilized one of them, the telling of his story, really nicely in this episode. In the TV show, the writers have managed to excise a lot of the objectionable stuff from this character, making most of the Yi Tian Cho stuff pretty good and cutting out most of the bad. Most of it. Some of the loveliest stuff in the doldrums happens around Yi Tian Cho. His capability cures Jamie's seasickness. He writes these beautiful disappearing poems on the deck of the ship, and he speaks to Claire about the importance of his story. Would you tell it to me? Not yet. Once I tell it, I have to let it go. And when all others around him are losing their heads, he keeps his. He distracts the men by telling the story of his life, a selfless act of personal sacrifice in an attempt to keep them from killing Hayes while he waits for the wind he knows is going to finally show up. I was found early to have skill in composition, to make the images of my brush resemble the ideas that dance like grains within my mind. Now, the Yi Tian Cho stuff is a pearl in a string, but it's a good pearl, a pretty pearl, a beautifully rendered pearl. Until we get to this. For the love of woman, I am come to a place where no woman is worthy of love, to a place where women are coarse and rank as bears, creatures of no grace, and these women disdain me as a yellow worm so that even the lowest of whores will not lie with me. Look. I know it's a common thing for people who are subjected to dehumanization and racism to then pick another group to turn it on. This stuff is complicated. I get it. But Yi Tian Cho, I'm sorry, is better than that misogynistic bullshit. And here we have this beautiful moment of heroism given to this character. And why couldn't we just let him have it? I like complication in characters. I don't need Yi Tian Cho to be perfect. I would just like his imperfections to be rendered in a more interesting way than, you know, that. Overall, I found the Yi Tian Cho portion of this story, while not really meaning anything or being terribly connected to the greater narrative, to be lovely in its realization. And I really cared about his character and his experiences. I loved his story. Which is in complete contrast to what's-his-face. You know, not Angus. Jonah, leave us be. You need not worry. It's your friend who should be afeard. I'm no worried. Don't no fear the likes of you. The problem with Hayes and Leslie isn't that they're not Angus and not Rupert, although the dark chasm left by those two beloved characters is indeed vast. The problem is that they're not drawn to be anything other than not Angus and not Rupert. They lack charm and characterization. They are simply two Ardsmuir men with nothing significant about either of them. Now, granted, in the beginning of Outlander, I couldn't even tell which one was Angus and which was Rupert. For a while, I was calling them Angpert. All right, fair enough, my bad. But over time, these characters established themselves. They were part of the team, and they were charming and fun. Hayes and Leslie are just Hayes and Leslie. We've had very little time with them, fair enough, but you don't need a lot of time to give a character vibrancy. Remember Jordy? 
Sure you do. Goiter, prim, self-satisfied, not the sharpest crayon in the box. Jordy got a fraction of the screen time that Hayes and Leslie got in just a Malcolm, and we managed to characterize him vibrantly. Maybe he wasn't likable, but he was vibrant, and in the end, that's what matters. Building a vibrant character is not a function of time. It's a function of effort and attention. We've put no effort into characterizing Hayes and Leslie, so we get two flat pancake characters that no one cares about. So when we threaten Hayes in this story, I mean, not to be cold, but if Hayes had jumped off the ship and gone down to Davy Jones, would any of us really have cared that much? Nah. So all of this sailor superstition, stuck in the doldrums, Hayes in trouble stuff is just stuff. Sound and fury signifying nothing, and taking our attention away from other things that I, for one, found much more interesting. I am sending you home. I'll tell everyone Fergus has already bedded me. He hasn't, but I'll say it anyway. So you see, I shall either be married or ruined. You know what I just said about building vibrant characters in no time at all? Marsley is exhibit A. I love Marsley, and the fact that Fergus chose her makes me like him even more, which I wasn't sure was possible. Marsley is tough. She's smart. She knows what she wants, and she's not going to let anyone tell her how she's going to live her life or who she's going to marry. She's Leary's daughter, but she's of a stock that is so much stronger and smarter than Leary ever was. Remember when Murtaugh said that Leary would be a girl at 50? Marsley, on the other hand, was born a grown-ass woman. And even when she's being mean to Claire, I love her. You drop out of the clear blue sky, sticking your nose where it doesn't belong, ruining my family. And now you're minding your own business. Well, Daddy may think you're a wise woman, but I still think you're a whore. Right, well, the whore should have the bigger bed then, shouldn't she? Hmm. Claire and Marsley are so well-matched, and if we can't have Jenny Murray on this ship, Marsley will do just fine. Madam, we're ready to move the man. All right, not long ago in a story analysis, not very far away, it's right here on YouTube, episode 20 of my Buffy the Vampire Slayer show, Still Pretty, I spoke about the difference between cliffhangers and game changers. And you know what? Let's just go to that tape. If you've been with me for any length of time, you know the difference between a cliffhanger, which is bullshit manipulation, and a game changer, which is awesome storytelling. A cliffhanger leaves you dangling on the cliff. You don't know what's going to happen. It's a deliberately unfinished story beat that keeps the reader on the hook for the next chapter so that they can, you know, finish the story. But the thing is, a good story needs to be finished in the final narrative unit that you're actually in. A cliffhanger is a cheap device used to keep people coming back. It demonstrates a lack of faith the writer has in himself and in the reader. Now, a game changer finishes the beat and leaves the reader breathless, also wondering what will happen next, but knowing what has already happened. See what I'm talking about there? If we end on a game changer moment, it's high octane, but it's still on solid narrative ground because you've finished the story you were telling. Remember in The Watch when Jamie was taken by the Redcoats? We didn't end on the Redcoats descending without us knowing what had happened to Jamie. That would have been a cliffhanger. That would have been bullshit. Instead, we ended on Claire discovering what had happened and preparing her next move. 
That was a game changer. The beat has finished, we know what happened, and we're ready for the next step of the story, which was Claire's search. But mostly, Outlander prefers cliffhangers, and while it has become so constant as to almost be part of the aesthetic of the show, I have to say, I don't think it's good storytelling. Cliffhangers are weak, insecure writing. You're basically telling your viewer, hey, I don't trust either you or myself. Myself, I don't trust that I'm a good enough writer or that my story is good enough to keep you coming back. You, I don't trust to be engaged enough by this material that you will come back. I'm afraid. So here is a big gasp and a cut to black. Ta-da! See you next week, sucker. The story with the British Man of War and Captain Leonard and Private Pound, that is a new story. It's not part of this week's story. But we needed a cliffhanger, so we went that way. But imagine this. Imagine if the sailors had turned on Fergus instead of Hayes. So, you know, someone we actually care about. Imagine if the men who called Fergus a frog and Yi Tian Cho a Chinese had served to bond these two even tighter together. Imagine if Marsley had been freaked out by Yi Tian Cho's differences and was unkind to him. Imagine if we'd had some tension between Fergus and Marsley over this, and her disdain for Yi Tian Cho had obviously hurt and insulted Fergus. Imagine if Yi Tian Cho had used his trickster cunning to save Fergus as a desperate Marsley watched on, helpless and ultimately grateful. Imagine if, instead of saying all that misogynistic crap, he said something lovely about Marsley and Claire, proving his love and respect for all women, while still beautifully illustrating his loss as one of those women wouldn't even see him as human. Imagine if he had managed to change the way everyone saw him, transforming in their eyes from the deviant Chinese to a human man with passions and meaningful work, transforming from Marsley into a hero as he saves Fergus's life. Imagine if we had wrapped that story around Jamie struggling with his darkness and his own life's trajectory, while Claire puts her passions into her work in healing the men, and Marsley's eyes open to a world that is wider, broader, and more complicated than the one she left. Imagine closing on the beautiful image of Yi Tian Cho throwing his life's story to the wind and saving the day, giving this story a more deliberate shape and some lovely things to say about life and purpose and loss. Imagine if we had ended the shot with his papers flying on the wind into the sea, the same sea that's taking young Ian further and further from their grasp with every moment. Would that have brought you back next week? It would have brought me. All right, that'll do it for today. This episode of Sex and Whiskey was brought to you by Ariella, who supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to produce whatever show she wants. Thank you, Ariella, and thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media and makes all of this possible. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you, too, can become a sex and whiskey producer. Then join me Sunday, November 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern using the hashtag SawChip for a live tweet of the broadcast on stars. And I'll see you right afterward with my thoughts on Season 3, Episode 10, Heaven and Earth. Slanjva. Sex and Whiskey is a chipperish media production and is entirely funded by passionate story lovers like you. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you can become a chipperish media supporter. <laughs>